Hey everybody, it is Jeremy England. I am one of four music teachers at Ohio Virtual Academy. And today uh, you are listening to the Ohio Virtual Academy Music Appreciation Podcast. Now typically I am joined by a co-host, uh, Miss Daphne Check, who is, uh, like I said, usually my co-host. She is not with us today, uh, so it's just me. And I don't know. Maybe you don't like that, but she'll be back next week. Uh, Or she's from the week before. (laughs) You can listen to her. Uh, Today is episode number 43, and we are talking about mixing consoles. Now, this is one of my favorite areas of live music. I really like to perform. I play guitar regularly. I sing. But I really, really like to get behind a mixing console and make sound kind of appear. Now, mixing consoles in a nutshell are basically uh, pieces of equipment that combine multiple inputs into one or more outputs. That's all it's doing. That's why it's called mixing. You're mixing these sounds together and putting them back out into the world. You'll often see, and probably the most familiar places you'll see mixing consoles are um, sound reinforcement and recording applications, or another way you would see them, or a non-nerdy way to say it, is uh, when a live band is playing, they'll have a mixing console, and when you call into a radio station or you're listening to a radio station, they're going to have a mixing console, DJs will have mixing consoles, musicals will have mixing consoles, and now, I mean, they're even used in symphonies, so like traditionally... Uh, unamplified acoustic ensembles can get amplified and mixed together to provide the best sound. Now, some of these will, you'll be better than others <laughs> at uh, which you'll have to use, like a symphony will lead, need probably less mixing uh, than a rock band will, for example. And that's just always kind of been the nature of the beast. A symphony is used to playing unamplified and unmixed um, because they do a lot of the mixing themselves. They just do it naturally as part of being a musician. Same thing with the rock band, but the disadvantage of a rock band is that all those instruments are so vastly different in their sound or volume level. So a drum set and a singer are vastly different in their ability to produce sound uh, loudly. Same with like an electric guitar and a bass. Um, you know, just some of these, we, they're already built in. So a amplifier, for example, is kind of a rudimentary mixer if you want to put some other stuff to play along with it. But basically, if you have sound that you want to mix together and put out into the world, you're going to have a sound mixer. Uh, I'm using a sound mixer for recording this podcast, and I mix it, and I mix sound afterwards too in a recording process, a recording program called a DAW, uh, and they have a kind of a sound mixer built into that. But a mixing console itself is usually a physical object of some sort that uh, is used to combine all of these sounds. Now the sizes are vastly different in mixing consoles. You can have anywhere from two individual channels at the very basic, because uh, you need two to mix, <laughs> right? All the way up to hundreds and hundreds of input channels. Most mixers, most small mixers, are 
probably about six input channels, which is usually one or two microphone inputs, a couple of line inputs, and then maybe like an RCA input, and that's that red and white cables. Uh, and then 48 on the higher side. And when I say like small mixers, I'm talking about uh, home use or consumer grade or maybe like even churches, um, stuff like that. You know, like most rock bands will get away with a 48 or less channel mixer. The touring acts and people with a lot of moving parts and people who are like designing and crafting sound and just doing amazing things with sound can have channels that are easily up to 96 channels of uh, sound coming into them to be mixed out. If you watch like even pop stars, so like somebody like Beyonce might, you know, if she's performing by herself, a band or not, you know, her voice might take up five channels by itself. And they all serve different purposes. Uh, a guitarist in a rock band might have two different amps that they're amplifying to mix their sound together. Uh, they might have a dry signal and a wet signal. They might a, uh, a bass guitar might have a DI signal, a direct signal, or uh, amplified signal, or both, and they just blend those together. Mixing at the very basic is mixing sounds together to put out into the world and it's it's true peak it's art it's crafting sounds and getting the most options that you possibly can get and producing a sound that is um desirable for the listener and for the artist to be a part of but you know it doesn't really matter uh how big or how small a mixer is the signal flow is essentially the same so if you sit down uh, behind a mixing board, if you happen to be, my first exposure to mixing consoles was at a church. And so if you happen to go to a church, go back and look at where the mixing console is. And it could be huge or it could be tiny. Uh, but wherever you find it at, out in you know a club or, or a bar, if you're old enough to do that, or in a church or just at a summer music festival, they all look very, very similar. And that's very handy because it makes it a little less intimidating. It can look like you're sitting behind the cockpit of a 747 airplane. But what is happening is, even though there might be 48 faders, for example, each of those faders is doing essentially the same thing. It has the same flow from top to bottom. You have the source, you have the input, the gain circuit, the equalizer, the auxiliary sends, the mutes, and the faders. And that happens over and over and over again. In fact, those vertical columns are called channel strips. So it's a strip of information or a strip of processing because that's what you're doing. A mixing console is processing sound to be able to be mixed and manipulated to then be sent back out. And so the first step you have is your source. And that could be an instrument. That could be voices, that could be electronics like computers or uh, beat samplers or, or turntables. Really, what the source is, is anything that you want to be amplified and sent somewhere. That's it. That's all the source is. Something that you want to be amplified and sent somewhere. And that's important because... In a in an audience, a live recording, for example, you could have the main instruments, guitar, drums, bass, keys, and voices, right? You could have that. That's what's coming out into the audience. Well, you can also amplify something like a click track, which is a metronome. It goes tick, 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 and that could be going to the artist's ears, 
So like like in in your amplifiers, in your headphones, um, in your monitors, and so that is a source that isn't being sent to the audience, but it is being sent somewhere to a very specific spot. Or you could have like crowd microphones. Now, crowd microphones seems counterintuitive in a live setting, but what you want a crowd microphone for might be a live recording or a live stream. You want people to be able to feel the energy and to feel the crowd. So you you will microphone them or you, you'll mic them. You'll put a microphone on the crowd or two or three or eight, and that will be sent to the board to be mixed into the signal that is being sent to the broadcast trailer or to Facebook or to YouTube. Next is the input. Uh, and what I mean by input is how the sound is coming from the source going to the board itself. And so if you're far away, that could be through something called a channel snake, which is basically just a, a box full of uh, connectors that runs back to the board. And then once it gets to the board you have a couple of choices of how the sound gets into it. It could be a microphone preamp or it could be a line input. So microphone preamp is, you guessed it first and foremost for a microphone, but it's a power circuit that adds uh, gain and volume to the signal. So it amplifies it essentially. Like uh, A perfect example is if you play the electric guitar without plugging it into an amp, you can hear it kind of, but it's not very loud. There's not very much signal. When you plug it into the amplifier, it has some circuitry that boosts that signal so it's loud enough to be you know, projected out to the world. Well, that's the first step of inputs is if I have a microphone or I have a, an acoustic guitar or a bass or something that's not very loud by itself, uh, it will go through this circuit. The line input is something that is already amplified. Uh, to an acceptable level to get processed through the soundboard. So that is something like a keyboard could be a line input. So basically, a line input is just a strong enough signal that it can make it through the rest of the soundboard. Uh, another example would be a computer. It could go into a line input. So you can bypass this, this uh, amplifying stage. At this stage, you can also apply to what's called phantom power, and it's plus 48 volts. And phantom power is used in stuff like condenser microphones, which is a microphone that uh, requires an electrical signal to, to be sensitive enough to get all of its um, information. Then you get to this its a gain knob or a trim knob. It's this knob at the very top of the board, probably red uh, in a lot of cases. And this is basically how much signal you're allowing to be passed to the rest of the board. So it seems counterintuitive, right? that if I have a microphone and I send it to the board and then I amplify that signal and then the next step I have to decide how much of that signal to go through the rest of the board, well, it's not counterintuitive because you can't just add power all (laughs) willy-nilly. So if you plug it into a microphone input, you can adjust how much is being amplified and how much signal is actually going to go through to the rest of the board. And there's an art to this because if you amplify a signal too much, you will get clipping, which is, it sounds really bad. It sounds distortion-y, uh, crunchy, crackly. It doesn't, it's not a good sound. It's not pleasant. Uh, you also have a what's called a noise floor. And a noise floor is just basically the surrounding sound around you. If you plug in a microphone and you turn the gain all the way up, you can hear kind of like a shh. 
and that is the noise floor. That that's from a lot of things. That could be from the lights. That could be from the actual circuitry inside the board. And so the goal is to get enough volume to make it through the rest of the board or enough power, but also not to amplify that noise floor at the bottom because you don't want that in your output signal. And so this is the first step of what's called gain staging. And gain staging, again, is just to allow the cleanest signal to flow through your board. And it's an art, and there's a couple of different schools of how people think you should do this. Um, So you can look it up and you can read for hours. It's something I have probably read for hours on how to do well and do correctly. The next step of the sound, so this is kind of like a, uh, if you imagine water flowing you know, through a sprinkler system or whatever, like this is kind of sound kind of flows like water. It is, it's literally an electrical signal passing through your board. So the next stop in this journey is the equalizer section or EQ for short. And this is again, more circuitry, more electronics. It's a set of circuitry that either adds or removes certain frequencies. Uh, And so this is kind of, when you are a mixer, a sound mixer, This is kind of your first stop in crafting or shaping the sound of your source. And so my voice on this microphone, I I remove certain frequencies or I add certain frequencies. So my voice is naturally pretty dark. Uh, and so I might boost some of the higher frequencies so that it adds a little bit more uh, treble sound to it, a little bit more presence, a little bit more crispiness, if you will. Other times, the sound can be really muddy, which uh, I know it's not a very technical term, but it just sounds like mud looks. <laughs> so kind of cloudy and thick and just, it kind of, it's not very clear. And so you could remove some lower frequencies and that takes some of that out uh, so you can hear the sound better. This is all about making the sound come through, the sound that you want to come through, and to make it clear. Uh, another example, a really easy example of a, an EQ application is something called a high-pass or a low-pass filter. So sound lives in this world of frequencies. So basically how fast you know these waves are coming at you, vibrating the air, coming towards you. And we have different speakers that help replicate this. The, the most obvious one is, um, or familiar one maybe, is the subs, the mids, and the tweeters. <laughs> so the subs are the very fat, big, large speakers that produce all this low, rumbly sound. Well, my voice will never get low enough, even though it's a low voice, my voice will never get low enough to make that sound vibrate or make that subwoofer vibrate. But my voice or my microphone could carry energy that we're not aware of that could actually get into that speaker and muddy it up. And so you would use a high-pass filter, which just basically says any signal or any sound that comes in below uh, 100 hertz, don't even send it anywhere else. Just stop it right here. Uh, Likewise, if you have like a bass guitar, more than likely... You're not going to be up at like 8,000 hertz or higher, kilohertz or higher. So you would say, I don't even want any idea or thinking of any energy coming into this high part to get into the tweeters. So you just cut all that out. You just say, I don't want anything in there. And so from there, you can start to shape other sounds. You can uh, cut certain frequencies out to give more Uh, room for other instruments to come through. So like a piano and guitar, if they start playing together, that middle section can get very cluttered. 
And so all this energy is there in that middle section, and it doesn't sound good. So you use the EQ to cut some frequencies, like in the piano, for example. So a good keyboard player will say, I'm not going to play the middle of the keyboard, and I might not even play the low end because of the bass. I'll stay up here in the high part. But if they don't have somebody who's aware of that, you can cut some of those frequencies out so the guitar is louder or more present, or vice versa. You know, maybe your guitar player is not very good or has a very ugly tone, so you can help shape it for them. The next stop is something called auxiliary sends. And so auxiliary sends is uh, kind of what it sounds like. Auxiliary is something extra. And so an auxiliary send, what you're doing with the sound at this point is you're inputting it to various sources. You're kind of saying, I want you to go over here. I want you to make a pit stop over here. Uh, I want you to go send some signal over to that area. And it's basically routing these different sources to different parts of your board or different areas outside of your board. So going back to um, the crowd microphone, for example. So you might say, I want this crowd microphone to only go to the singer's ears. So the singer can feel like that he can hear the crowd. Or I want it only to go to the live stream. So the people who are listening at home can feel like that they're in the room with the people who are actually in the room. Well, you would accomplish this by using an auxiliary send. You would say, I want this crowd microphone that we have boosted correctly. We have EQ'd the very low end out of that and the very high end out of that. And we just have like this nice crowd noise. And I want to pick that off and send it to the live stream. And that way you can send as much as you want or as little as you want at that point in the signal, and then you never even have to send it to the main uh, board at all from, from there. You don't even have to send it to the main mix, right? You just pick it off there, and that's the end of it. The other reasons you could use auxiliary send is you can start to combine sounds. So if I have, say, eight drum microphones, which is probably not crazy. Eight drum microphones would be uh, bass drum, inside and outside bass drum, or uh, snare drum, top and bottom. Uh, two toms, and then two overhead microphones. And that's probably like a, f a few microphones. We probably could put more if we really wanted to, especially depending on the application. Well, all those sounds together probably sound good, but what you could do, instead of sending all those signals individually to the main mix, you could put, you could say, I want all of you to go to the drum bus, I want you all to go to this one single channel strip, which from there I can put effects on it. I can um, manipulate it. I can EQ it differently. You know, so it just gives you another opportunity to shape the sound. And that's a good thing. So then instead of mixing 10 channels, you get 10 channels that sound good. You throw them into one channel manipulate that one channel, and then send that one channel out to everybody to listen to. Again, it's just about flexibility to be able to shape the sound the way that you want it. The other thing you can do is you can send it to other effects. So I could say, I want some nice reverb or delays or compression or uh, you know any whatever effect you want. I want that on all the voices. I want all the voices to have a little bit of reverb or echo. And so you can send 
these signals to a reverb channel, and you can add a little bit of reverb or a lot of bit of reverb, and you can affect all the voices at one time, which is very convenient for a workflow because it helps make it quicker. Or if you only have one reverb effect or uh, maybe a couple you want to use all the voices on one type of reverb and all the instruments on another, you can do that very easily using auxiliary sends. The next step is uh, the pre-fader or after-fader listen. So as you're listening to uh, these sounds on these big speakers at a mixing console, you can also have headphones. And you can say, press a button that says, I want to listen to this channel all by itself. So you put on your headphones and you hear the whole mix. And then you press the pre-fader listen button and then you hear only that channel, which is helpful for diagnosing any problems or to help shape the sound or you know, just to listen specifically to one channel without muting anybody else. Next is the mute button, which probably pretty obvious. It just mutes the channel. And then finally, you have the faders which are those little things that go up and down. Sometimes they're knobs on smaller mixers, but they go up and down and they help actually mix the sound together. And after that, they all that sound combines into what's called the master bus or the main out, and that goes out into the world for the audience to hear. So how do you get that mix in out of the board that you just spent all this time doing for each channel? You know, you went to the input, the source, the input, the gain, the EQ, the auxiliary sends, the mutes, and the faders, and you have the sound crafted. How do you get it out? Well, that main mix, so all the faders that you've mixed and done all this work to, that can be sent out to the mains. Those are That's basically the big speakers, the audience speakers, the main source that people will listen to. So this is what you're doing as a sound engineer, probably from the 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 everybody's perspective is you're mixing the sound for everybody to to enjoy. You can also have these auxiliary mixes like we talked about earlier, which is what musicians will hear on stage for themselves, uh, or monitors, sorry. Um, so a monitor mix is if I'm playing guitar and singing, uh, I don't necessarily want to hear the other singers, or I don't necessarily want to hear maybe another guitar player. I want to hear my guitar, my voice, and maybe the bass and the drums. And so if you ever get a chance to listen to somebody else's monitor mix, you might be surprised at what they're actually listening to versus what is being portrayed out into the world. In fact, it's usually very different. And you might say, well, what the heck? I thought you know, you'd want to listen to your music. one, And that's true, but like, if you think about playing trumpet in an orchestra, you're going to hear yourself the most first. You might not even hear the flutes most of the time. And so when you're playing, you're playing your part and you probably like it, but you know that you're producing something that's greater than you, but you got to be able to play your part well. So you create a mix that makes you or allows you to play your instrument or sing very well. Uh, you know, like, going back to the singing, I like to hear myself a lot. Sometimes I like to hear like harmony singers, uh, but other times I don't because it messes up what I'm singing. Uh, same thing if I'm singing harmony, I don't want to hear a bunch of other harmony parts necessarily because I don't want to get thrown off. Some people, that might be the complete opposite. And that's what's great about these monitor mixes is you can personalize them and have a totally separate mix than, um, than what's going out to the audience. 
Then you have something on bigger boards, so a little bit larger consoles, called matrix mixes. And matrices are mixes of mixes. <laughs> so say you have an auxiliary sound or a bus of drums, like we talked about earlier. You take 10 microphones and you put it into one channel. And then maybe you have all the voices mixed together. And then you have all the guitars and the basses. Well, you can then take all these mixes, including the main mix, because the main mix is a bus, just called the main bus. You can combine them and mix them separately and send these to different areas. And so this is somewhat different than an auxiliary mix. An auxiliary mix is individualized and you can put any source you want into it. A matrix mix is a combination of already mixed signals. And why would you want them? What's the difference, you ask? Well, matrix mixes are often used to send to different areas of an auditorium or maybe to different rooms, uh, like the lobby or like maybe like the the deck that has all the food, or in churches it might be like a cry room, sometimes they call it, or if you have a baby that's crying, or um, in very, very large festivals, you might have something, you know, it could be such a wide stage, you would have two speakers, two sets of speakers on the left and right, but if you're standing in the middle of the front row, you're not going to hear those very well. So they might do a what's called a front fill, which is speakers that sit in the very front, which aren't as loud, but they carry the mix. And that could be an example of a matrix. And so it's just, again, more flexibility. And then wherever you're sending these sounds to, it comes out of the mixer and it has to be amplified again. So it goes to a an amplifier of some sort. Sometimes these are power amplifiers, which are separate little units that basically take the signal from the board and amplifies it to a level that will carry out over large distances. These might be built into what's called active speakers, um, which are like your computer speakers, like the if you have like little desktop speakers, that's probably an example of an amplified or a powered speaker. Uh, if you have a home theater set up, that's probably an example of a um, passive system. So you send all your signals into the home theater console or the sound surround sound console, and then that sends out to little wires around to the different speakers. Uh, finally, we can talk about processing and effects. So all this is dependent. All the stuff you've done, the, the greatest control you've had so far that we've talked about is uh, equalizers, the EQ section. You can cut frequencies and add frequencies. That's the most you can kind of craft your sound. Well, processing and effects is takes that to the extreme. <laughs> so a perfect example of an effect that would be used regularly is called reverb, uh, reverberation. It basically it gives the listener a sense of space. And you say, well, how does that work? Well, if you're in, a, you're in an arena, say you're in an in an arena, if you're by yourself and you say something, you know, hello, and it kind of like echoes throughout the room, that's an example of like hall reverb. And uh, you could use reverb creatively. So sometimes you can, you want to sound like you're singing or playing very in, in a large room, even if you're in a large room. Other times it's used um, to make you feel not weird. And so what I mean by that is if you just listen to a group who played their instruments in a recording studio and there was no reverb, everything would sound very dry, 
kind of like um, uh, it's kind of uncomfortable to listen to, to be honest. So you add some reverb to kind of feel like you're in a real life space. Another example of a cool effect that's often used is delay. And that is just uh, delay is just the echo, like the actual clear echo of something. So if I said delay, 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 you know, that is an example of delay. And that could be very present or not present. Um, sometimes that's controlled at the board for like vocalists. Guitarists use it a lot on their own. They have delay pedals and stuff. But all of these effects uh, are in the olden days and sometimes today even in the analog world, I should say, uh, are separate effects. So they're like a separate box that you set next to your console and you have to route the sound out of your mixer into this effect and then back into the console somehow. And that could be very heavy, especially if you have a big board and you have a lot of inputs you want to add effects to. That becomes very heavy and very expensive because you have to buy a separate unit for every voice. So say you have five singers and you want each of them to have a different effect on it. You have to have five separate effects. And that can get kind of unwieldy. Like in a recording studio, it's not a big deal. Your recording studios, their mixing consoles will be very, very large. Um, and they can route to all kinds of effects and have all kinds of different patch bays and stuff. In the live world, it's not as convenient. Now, in this world, we have the the rise of the digital mixing board. So um, we have dedicated effects computers. So you have a computer, you connect it to your mixing board with the Ethernet cable, and you can add like all kinds of effects very quickly. Um, but you also have effects that are built into the boards themselves, which are generally okay for most people's uses. And so some of these examples, examples of some popular mixing consoles, in the analog world, anything really by Mackie, uh, Yamaha and Soundcraft, you're going to be okay with. In the digital world, um, I know this is probably controversial to some people, if depending on how into the world you are, but the Behringer X32 uh, or I guess Midas is also a better version of Behringer X32. Uh, basically, is a very cheap entryway into digital mixing boards, which gives you a ton of flexibility and opens up all kinds of worlds of possibility. Um, and you know, like all these things we've talked about, the matrixes, the aug sends, the EQs, the more expensive the board traditionally in the analog world, the more expensive the board, the more flexibility you have. So a cheap board might only have two auxiliary outputs, which means you could only have two monitor mixes, for example. The expensive boards might have eight, and then you might get matrices. Uh, a cheap board, you wouldn't even have a matrix mix, no ability to do that at all. The digital world opens up this world that it's accessible for everybody. An X32, for example, a Behringer X32 is maybe 2500 bucks, And that seems expensive, I guess, but until you realize that uh, a professional touring like um, Digico S-Series could be 35000 to $40,000. Um, so it's all about processing power, the computers inside them, the electronic devices or components, I should say, inside them. Um, how fast the workflow is, how much you can connect and route stuff here and there. So 
Mixing is cool. I'll put some links in the show notes by a guy who's very famous, David Ratt, uh, very famous in the sound world. He mixes for like Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, and I'll find some other stuff that you just kind of get an idea of how mixing works. Uh, but in the meantime, you can reach out to us uh, on Twitter at OHVA Music. I am on Twitter myself at Jeremy P. England, and our website is anchor.fm forward slash OHVA Music. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, I know we all look forward to Daphne coming back next week, but until then, let us know what you're thinking. Let us know if you're a mixer, and, and reach out and just say hi. Have a good one. <laughs>